last uh, several weeks, uh, we've been looking at, uh, we've been doing a spiritual health check. We've been asking, how is our spiritual health? I know every now and then it's good to go to the doctor and get a physical and make sure everything's still operating well. So we've been doing that on the spiritual side. Uh, we opened up with our heart. How is our heart? Who is our first love? Is it Jesus? Is it something else? Uh, we went and looked at our minds. What are we doing to uh, keep our minds healthy? Are we in the Word? Are we in Scripture? Are we learning? Uh, we looked at our ears. Who are we allowing to speak into our lives? Uh, we looked at our eyes. Do we have vision? Are we aligned with God's vision for our life? And last week, uh, we looked at our mouths. Are we speaking blessings? Are we speaking life into other people? Or are we speaking death? This week, uh, we're going to move to our next body part, our hands. Jazz hands, everyone. Ready? Um, you know, we look at our hands a lot of time when we talk about uh, hands in a spiritual sense. And, and sometimes we fall back to this idea that it's about sin. Uh, and we get that out of Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms that talk about how you need to have clean hands to come before the Lord. And that imagery of clean hands deals with, is there sin in our life or is there not sin in our life? But there's another way to look at hands, a way that I think, uh, while, while that's important, another way that I think is extremely important for us uh, to consider. We look at our hands, we can tell what we actually do. Can't we? I mean, uh, there's a, a joke amongst guys that you can tell what kind of guy you're dealing with by his hands. Does he have soft hands? Does he have rough hands? You know, does he work for a living or does he just, you know, work for a living? You know? I remember when I was growing up, my dad just drilled this into my brain about how important it was to shake someone's hand and the proper way to shake someone's hand. How you hold it, how you look in their eyes, and that was important because that told the world a lot about you and how you, how you did that. And, and there's a spiritual element to that too. What does our life look like? How are we living our life in such a way where we're Jesus' hands? Let's pray for a moment and, and, and we'll dig into that. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here, Lord. As we dig into your word, just come and speak to us this morning. Come and speak to us. Allow us to hear clearly from you. Father, we ask that your word be transforming into our lives this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We welcome you. We pray this in Jesus' name. What does our life look like? How do we live out our lives? These are challenging questions for us that we ask many a time. And, and the focus around us, usually, the focus that we're taught is when we ask these questions, we need to focus on ourselves. How can we get the most out of our life? How can we get ahead? There's an old saying, if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out right there, right? I know in the, in the business world, when I was in the business world, I used to have this saying, there's something I called the game. Do you know how to play the game in the business world? And it was, do you know how to position yourself in certain ways? Do you know how to promote yourself in certain ways so that you could get ahead in the game? Because you were competing against everyone around you. And we bring that into life. We bring that into church life. We look at that sometimes and we think the church is a game too. Our spiritual lives are a game. How are we comparing against each other? How do I compete against each other? How do I get ahead? Years ago, we 
had this crazy idea that we were going to do formal membership. Now, we did partnership last year. We'll probably do that again this year. We did formal membership years ago. And I remember that because we were, we were struggling financially, and everybody told me that the answer to all your problems is you need to do formal membership. And so we, we, rolled, we, we learned from everybody else. We rolled out the perfect membership class, and we, we kind of put it there, and we're like, sign on the dotted line if you want to be a member of this church. And the response I got from everyone is, what benefit is there for me to be a member? What do I get out of it? Now think about that. When, when, when public uh, TV asks you to be a member, they give you like the 20 DVD set of, you know, touring Chicago and, and the, the, the bell from Downton Abbey and all that other stuff. Remember, you get a tote bag, a t-shirt. I mean, I, I, I gave to public radio because I'm one of those guys. And they gave me glasses, pub glasses, really nice. I had a choice between that and a tote bag. I went to pub glasses because, you know, they're pub glasses. But we're used to that. If, we're, if we sign up for something, what do we get for it? What's in it for us? And that's how we tend to look at life. What's in it for me? Is that how we're really supposed to live? Is that how we're supposed to measure our lives? The Bible gives us a different picture of it. There's a story in, in Matthew 20. Really interesting story. And, and we read it now and we kind of go, oh, those crazy people. But we live it in real life all the time. I see it all the time in church. Matthew uh, 20, starting in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's John and James, the apostles, came to Jesus with their sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. He said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Okay, so that, that's a place of authority. Like you're the number one, the number one, number two guy. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. They do. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These are places to those who have been prepared for by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I love this story. I love this story. I think it's hilarious. I mean, if, you know, we want to get ahead. So let's get mom to go talk to the boss and try to open up a path for us to do this. This is awesome. I mean, this is like life right now. And then the ten are like, who are these guys? They brought their mom? Really? What gives them the right? We had a visitor come to church once. I introduced myself to them and Cindy was there with me. She them. I'm like, we really love, I really love the church. I want to get involved. I'm like, 
Oh, that's awesome. How do I get on the board? What? Yeah, I want to get on the board, like, now. Talk to me in 10 years. You're here for about 10 years. Talk to me then. We'll see how that works. We have this vision of, of how, do we, how do we get ahead? How do we get ahead? How do we get prestige? How do we get stuff? How do we get titles? How do we get positions? That's what James and John are looking for right here. They want the position. They want the title. They want to be in that place. And Jesus' answer to them, as it is to us, is, isn't about getting ahead. It's about serving. You know, as we look at life, as we get ahead in life, as, as we begin to, to, to get ahead in our jobs or get ahead financially or whatever, it, it's not that we serve more people. We're used to them serving us, right? I mean, Cindy and I, we used to watch Downton Abbey when it was out. We're going to watch the movie when it comes out again. We really enjoy that show. There's another one just like it based in New York right now. That's the same kind of gist. And what's amazing about that show is the separation between the servants and, and the owners of the house. There's like this chasm. It still amazes me, this, this idea. And I understand that, you know, back in the day, women's clothing was a lot more complicated than it is today. But you need someone to dress you? That's like, you know, what? It just, it just I watched the show and I, I was always amazed at this life of leisure and the servants keeping everything going. And I know that's a different time and a different place and reasons behind it and all that. But for many of us, that's how we look at life. We get to this place, I've been here so long, I'm done. It's time for other people to do the work. You know, I, I look at, at, you know, I've been involved with AYSO for, gosh, probably over t uh, 15 years now. And people are like, well, I did that years ago. I'm not going to volunteer anymore. It's time for somebody else to and that, that's our mindset. We've paid our dues. We're done. But, but the thing is, as followers of Jesus, things kind of get turned upside down for us. Because the higher we get in the kingdom, the higher we get, the more uh, prestigious, the more whatever, the more our life becomes characterized by service, by what we do, by what we give away. The answer on membership, by the way, is what do I get by being a member? The answer is you get to serve. You get to serve. See, being a member wasn't about what you get, but it's about what you give. Serving one another. You know, last two years have been incredibly difficult. And there's a handful of people here that you'll look around and you'll go, oh, they're kind of leaders here. I know they're kind of leaders here. What they did over the last two years was mind-boggling behind the scenes. When we were doing uh, streaming, you know, people that were in here serving, trying to keep the ship afloat. When Cindy's mother died and everything happened so fast, I remember that. We were already shut down, but everything happened so fast and there was no way we were going to be able to do uh, services or any of that stuff. And I remember that, that three-week time period where, where James and Brenda and Teresa like kind of threw sermons together in their apartments and their houses using their iPhones to serve the rest of you. The higher you get, 
the more your life is about service. But there's a challenge for us. See, we're not called just to ourselves. We're called to be outwardly focused. And it's one thing to say we, we need to live a life of service, but what exactly does that look like? I mean, when a pastor comes up here and says, you have to serve, you start getting crazy ideas in your mind like he's going to pass out the sign-up sheet for Kids Church now, right? You're all going to work in the nursery next week. Is that what service is all about? Who's on the cleaning team? You know, that's what we all get fearful about. But service is supposed to look a little different. And Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 11. Now, John the Baptist is locked up in prison. And, and people thought that Jesus was the guy. I mean, John said Jesus was the guy. And they had this picture of what that being the guy was going to look like. Jesus was going to throw out the Romans. And if you're followers of John the Baptist, you're probably thinking, if Jesus is the guy, can't he do something about John, who's locked in prison right now? Because what Jesus is doing doesn't look like, like he's the Messiah at this point. At least not the image that they had. And so the disciples of John go to Jesus, and they're kind of confused, and they're asking, you know, are you the guy? Matthew 11, verse 2, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask. Even John's asking, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Are you the guy? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus described his ministry in those terms. It wasn't about his title, but instead it was about what he did. What he did. And the same is true from us. This picture of ministering to the people around us. Now, we can read this, and especially in this context, we can put it into a very supernatural context, right? We need to pray for people, we need to witness to people, but I think there's more to that. You know, Jesus is ministering to their needs while proclaiming the good news. This is a hands-on ministry. Think about what he's doing. Think about his lifestyle. He's meeting with people. He's laying hands on them. He's in their lives. He's having dinner with them. He's involved in other people's lives. And that's the call for us. Because when we talk about service, service isn't just about us and what we're doing in this church. I say that as a double-edged sword because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done in this church but service sometimes is more important about what we're doing outside of the church, how we're advancing the gospel and advancing the kingdom. See, it's not just about that we get to pray for ourselves and hope we see God move, hope that we experience God's miracles. It's about going out into the community, into the neighborhood, and ministering to the people's needs there. It's about leaving the building occasionally and going into the neighborhood. That was Jesus' calling card. 
And that was the complaint about it, right? Hanging out with sinners, hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors. His answer was always the same. It's the sick who need the doctor, not the well. Our call when we talk about service sometimes is going out to the sick, ministering to them. But it doesn't just end there. Turn to Matthew 23. We love Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. We love the Beatitudes and all that. But there's a second part to that at the end. And this is the one that we don't like. It's uncomfortable. Because in many ways it's written to us as a church. We see the Beatitudes, but then there are the seven woes. Woes to the Pharisees. And it's really easy to say, well, those are Pharisees. They're not us. But the Pharisees were the church, guys. They were the, they were the religious community. So when we read the woes, we should look at them and wonder, okay, is some of that in us? And in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the later without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. On the outside, it appears that the Pharisees are doing everything they're supposed to do. The Lord tells them exactly what to tithe. Or the, the law says exactly what to tithe, and that's what they're doing to the letter of the law. They're being good church people. But their life is missing something. It's missing justice. It's missing mercy. And I think that's something we tend to forget about at times. See, it's one thing to go and pray for your sick neighbor. But what if your neighbor is sick because he can't afford to go to the doctor? What if your neighbor is sick because he can't get the right type of nutrition? You know, we, we talk about that. You know, we can either teach someone to fish or give them a fish. But what if the lake is polluted and there are no fish in it? This is where justice and mercy come in. And I know, I know, I know that I'm pushing against an area that's become really uncomfortable in the evangelical church. Because when we talk about social justice, all of a sudden this whole political thing comes upon us. You don't want to be socialists, right? And social justice is all about socialism. What's he going to say next? But the interesting thing is Scripture, nowhere in the Bible, the Bible doesn't endorse capitalism nor socialism. It has its own ethic. And that's the ethic we should be following. See, there seems to be a belief that comes upon the church that either we shouldn't care about this because politically we're told that that leads to a bad place, or we shouldn't care about this because we've got some end times idea that everything's going to burn anyways, so who cares? Let it burn. And that idea, that belief system, those politics, they affect the way we operate, they affect the way we serve, they affect what we do. 
We talk a lot here about advancing the kingdom. When I say that, what do you hear? What do you hear? Some people hear when I say that that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna advance the kingdom of God. Well, that must mean, you know, Western capitalistic lifestyle. Middle class lifestyle. That's not what that means. It means we're gonna advance God's reign and rule in our society. We talk about being ordinary people, changing the world one life at a time. What do you hear when you hear that? Is it about filling a bus to try to get as many people into heaven? Or is it about something else? Genesis 126 says something really interesting. God gives the earth to Adam to, to tend. He says, take care of it, subdue it, have dominion over it. There's a responsibility for us to take care of creation. We know the rest of the story. We know what happens after that, right? The enemy comes, deceives them. They get kicked out of the garden. We live in the midst of a war. We are in occupied territory, guys. I know many of you are paying attention to what's happening in the Ukraine, and this is a really hard analogy to make, but it's very, very accurate. We live in occupied territory. We don't even realize it. And those that have occupied the territory, they're not people, they're not politicians, they're not liberals, they're not conservatives, they're none of that. It's the, the powers and the principalities of the age. It's Satan and his minions. It's the power of death. Our enemies are not people. Our enemies are something bigger. Enemies are spiritual forces. So what's God's plan? Is it about evacuation? Or is it about invasion and rebuilding? Revelations 21 tells us that God has, has a vision for a new heaven and a new earth. Its creation isn't evil. It's going to be redeemed. And our role right now is that of the resistance. And our weapons are justice and mercy. Those are the pillars of God's throne, according to the Old Testament. Justice and mercy. And as believers in Christ, as we talk about service, as we go out, it's not just about getting people to say a prayer. It's about getting people's lives transformed. And we don't get them simply transformed by doing good deeds or by getting the politics right. We get them transformed by getting them into a relationship with Jesus, by the Holy Spirit coming and transforming their lives in the world around them. As we advance the kingdom, we're advancing God's reign and rule. We're watching Satan's kingdom diminish and God's justice and mercy take over. We're setting the captives free. We're pushing back the occupying forces and we're inviting God's reign and rule to come. I believe in my heart of hearts that God has chosen His church to be His primary tool to bring transformation to the world. And we've seen it happen in the last 2,000 years. 
we've seen the church come into an area as a tiny mustard seed and bring complete transformation. We saw it in the Roman Empire. We saw it in Poland. We saw it in Russia and the fall of the Soviet Union. We see it right now in China where it's growing exponentially. Where God's kingdom is advancing in the midst of the political turmoil around them. Kingdom is advancing. We are the primary force of that. Not by our politics, not by military action, not by legislation, but by being Jesus' hands. Jesus' model of ministry is so not what the rest of the world would do. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Go out. Go make a disciple. Teach them everything that I taught you to do. And then have them go do the same thing. That's a long game. That's a long game. I was uh, listening to an interesting uh, teacher this week, a guy I really like. Um, named Alan Hirsch, and he made this comment. He said, you know, if you had, if you had uh, 40 people, 40 people who, who decided that they were going to go and make disciples, they were going to find one person and disciple them, make them a disciple of Jesus. And then that one person did the same thing. I think he said within six generations, we'd have the whole country saved. This is what service looks like. It's not necessarily making sure that kids' church is running up right, but you know what it is. Service means you're willing to be Jesus' hands as we advance God's kingdom forward. And there's a thing that we say in the vineyard, and everybody gets to play. Not everyone has the option if they want to play. Everybody gets to play. We all get to be a part of that advancing army. We all get to be a part of seeing transformation come to the world. We all get to be a part of what Jesus is doing. So the question for us today is really simple. What kind of hands do you have? Consider Jesus' hands. They were pierced for you. What kind of hands do you have? Are they the hands of a servant? Or are they soft? Are they being used hands-on for ministry? Or are they sitting in your pockets? Are they releasing mercy and justice? Or are they holding it back? God is about to do something incredible with this house, with this body. He's about to release something amazing amongst us. I believe more so than I ever have had. I have an expectation that this spring and this summer, we are going to see God do some amazing things and we are going to see a growth in this house that we've never experienced before. But for us to do that, we have to have the hands of Jesus. We have to be doing what He is doing. 
have to be releasing justice, releasing mercy. We need to be active. The season of Lent is a time of preparation for us for what he's about to launch once it's over. So how are your hands? Let's stand up. Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence here this morning. We welcome you here today. Lord, I just pray, strengthen our hands to do the work that you've called us to do, to do the work of service that you've called us to do. Father, years ago you talked to us about being an ordinary people, just an ordinary everyday people who bring transformation to our world. So Father, allow us to be that people. Allow us to strengthen our hands. Allow us to get our hands dirty to advance your ministry. Father, let this be a place where justice and mercy flow. Let this be a place where healing and deliverance flow. Let this be a place where your salvation and your kingdom advances mightily across DeKalb County and into the world. Lord, you've given us a vision for what you want to do. That vision has never changed. In 20 years, that vision has never changed. Lord, give us courage walk into it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come into this place. Come and dwell amongst us. If you need prayer this morning for anything, the Lord is here. The Lord wants to do it. If you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer because you want to go and do the stuff, but you're just not really sure about that, Maybe you need a bit of the Lord. Just release that. Please feel free to come and talk. Pray for us this week because I really believe this is the beginning of what the Lord is about to do. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness. May he protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our dreams. A wonderful friend of mine by the name of Steve Nicholson has this saying when he dismisses people at the Evanston Vineyard. Um, and it's a real deep saying. You've got to think about it for a second. He tells him to go out and be the church. Be the church to the world around us. Be the church your place of employment. Be the church to Walmart. Be the church to your neighborhood. So go out. Be the church. Amen.